Lord, we come to you now at the front of the preaching event to ask for your assistance, your presence, your anointing, your enablement. Oh, Lord, I ask you to hallow this place for the next few moments as we read from the eternal word, the word that will not pass. Touch our ears that they will hear what the Spirit has to say to us. Touch our hearts that they will burn within us. And Lord, may we at the conclusion of this experience with you, this encounter with you, leave changed and blessed and encouraged by your word in Jesus' name. The life of the Lord Jesus is a study in mission and vision. It is a study in redemption, in obedient submission to a purpose and a plan of an all-wise and a sovereign God. I've preached many times from Mark chapter 4, especially the first part of the chapter. It has to do with a parabolic illustration when Jesus said the kingdom of God is like this. A sower went forth to sow seed and that some of the seed fell on stony ground, and that fowls and birds came and snatched it away. I call them seed snatchers. Touch your neighbor and say seed snatcher. It's called Instagram, MySpace, Facebook. I just simply call them seed snatchers. Sorry, that just slipped out. (laughs) Satan employs many birds to come and snatch seeds. In other words, you heard the word. You just don't ever make any application of it because it left as soon as it came. It's tragic that when we walk out these doors on Sunday morning, most of the time we just kind of leave what we heard and that kind of thing uh, in there with our robe of righteousness that we put on (laughs) when we walk in the door. And I want to tell you that God never intends for it to be that way. Our, Our life and our heart is a seed bed. And the Lord intends to plant seed in our seed bed. He's a husbandman and he is preparing and he's maturing and developing us. And he plants seed in our lives all the time. And that seed is the word of God, Jesus said. And the sower that goes forth to sow, the seed is the preacher who preaches the gospel or the teacher who teaches the gospel. And the seed is the word of God. But that word can be stolen and snatched away and uh, rendered ineffective, null and void because it got snatched got snatched. Amen. You know, sometimes I think a message just goes right over our head. I think we're so pre-supposed that we just sometimes just let what God is saying become so ordinary and so familiar that it kind of loses its punch to us over time. I, I would say there are people that are sitting here that have been Christians 60 years. There are probably people here that have read the Bible through five, six, eight, maybe ten times in their life. And sometimes you develop a a spirit of hurt it all. Hurt it all. 
And sometimes as a preacher of 47 years, you, you get to the place you've heard it, you know. And you get to a place where you even know where they got it. Know where he read that and that kind of thing. But the word of the Lord is as fresh as the dew every morning. And the word of Lord of the Lord is ever new. It, it never grows old. The story of Jesus and his coming into the world to save sinners is such an attraction that it never, ever loses that attraction. Jesus told them that there were thorns and thistles that grow up and choke the seed. And it never has a chance. And uh, the, the disciples inquired, what are you talking about? He said, the cares of this life. Just busy with being busy. Just doing what people do. Sometimes will cause you to choke the life out of the Word of God. That means it just gets put on your list of things to do. It just becomes as familiar as that ringtone on your cell phone. It just becomes an ordinary occurrence, just something we do. But I must hasten to tell you that the word of the Lord is purposeful. And God sends a word and he said, It will not return unto me void, but it will accomplish whereunto it is sent. Number one, that tells us that he sends it. If he sends the word, then brother, we're the happy recipients if we receive the engrafted word, the Bible says. And what a parabolic illustration that was. And it was for all of those people that were sitting on the countryside listening to Jesus out under the canopy of the sky as he was going about the work of God's Son and the redemptive purpose and plan. And as he preached and he taught, the Bible said the Holy Ghost was upon him. And God anointed him with the power of the Holy Ghost. He went about doing good, healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Can somebody say thank God for that? Amen. That God was with Jesus. God was in him. And he took the disciples afterward and explained to them the parable. They didn't get it first time around. I'm in that category a lot of times. First time it comes by me, I, I sometimes miss the real point. And the disciples heard it, probably said amen to it. You know, people say amen to a lot of things they don't really get. They're just in the habit of saying amen to whatever he says. It's important that you get it, amen. They didn't get it. You know, these disciples, Jesus was transitioning into becoming fishers of men. He found them on the deck side of the Sea of Galilee and summoned them and called them. And he said, follow me and I will make you into fishers of men. That was a three-year-long process. It was an every-day-with-Jesus process. They heard hundreds of sermons. They experienced miracles. They ran out of Nazareth lest they get stoned and thrown over a cliff. They were with Jesus. They traveled with him. They were with him night 
and day. They ate with him. They slept with him. They knew all about Jesus because that three-year program of discipleship was very intense. And Jesus was very busy developing not just people and trying to help them accept the Savior and accept the plan of redemption and salvation, but he was trying to shape and form and fashion and develop people that would continue the ministry after he left. Oh, hallelujah. So he was so busy about developing them that when they inquired and said, we don't understand. We don't know what the, what the parable is about. What are you really talking about? And Jesus gives them this answer. And he says, and he said unto them, so is the kingdom of God. As if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day. And the seed should spring up and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself. First the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up. But when it is sown, it groweth up. It doesn't start growing until it is sown. It doesn't start changing until it makes contact with the dirt. It doesn't start to be a part of the plan and the purpose for its planting until the farmer puts it into the seed bed. Until then, it's little, it's insignificant, it's almost invisible, and I'm certainly ignorant of how such a seed so small can become something so great. It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown, is less than all the seeds. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater it becometh greater than all other herbs. It starts smallest, but when it grows up, it is greater. Buddy, somebody missed a great place to holler, amen, hallelujah, glory to God, thank you, Jesus. Because that little old minuscule seed that you think God planted in your heart and gave you a word. It may be so small that you don't expect much of it. It may be so insignificant that you never gave it much expectation. But when it groweth up, it is greater than your expectations. It's greater than all other. Hallelujah. When it grows up and shooteth out with great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. In studying about God's infinite, minute care of every one of us, I have come to understand that God has an order of things. 
God has an order of things. In fact, the Bible tells us that God is not the author of confusion. But God says, let everything be done decently and in order. God is an in order kind of God. God is a stick to the process kind of God. In other words, he says to us, don't get the cart before the horse, as we would say. Don't get anxious and don't get excited and start running out trying to reap a crop that is not yet grown up. Don't interrupt the process by your fear and anxiety and frustration and lack of understanding. It has to take its course. It's got to be in order. In fact, God, the Bible said, et everything in order. The stars are in order. The moon is in order. The earth is in order. All of the universe is in order. And at the sound of his voice comes to attention. In fact, the Bible said he rolls out the heavens every morning. And the Bible said all things consist by the word of his mouth. That all things are upheld by the word of God. God is an order-keeping God. He keeps order. He is an orderly God and expects us to have order in our lives. He really does. He orders our lives. I think I heard a song not too many uh, weeks and months ago, Order My Steps. I think, Andrew, we sang that at Dorothy's funeral. Order My Steps. In fact, the Bible said the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So then God has a manner and a purposeful plan in which we ought to live and in which we ought to conduct ourselves and behave ourselves. And we experience a real hurt and a real tragedy when we don't do things in order. How many would say, I, I've sometimes not been faithful in tithing and everything got out of order? Because I didn't do first what I was supposed to do. I, I felt like I couldn't do first what was the order of things. And I found out that I corrected my order of things and fix the order of things and then blessings started coming. Order of things. I tell young people that sex before marriage is, is dangerous. Not only is it sinful, it's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous because that's not God's order of things. If you do things out of order, then you can expect to reap a results of frustration Come on, somebody. When order is violent, when things are not in order, then bad things happen. The Bible says in Genesis 8.22, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Why? Because God put it in order. God sets everything in order, especially our lives. In fact, your life is a special project that God is working on. God knows your beginning and God knows your ending. God knows all about you. 
In fact, as Jesus looked about at the crowd, the Bible said, for he knew their hearts. He not only knows our thoughts. In fact, at Simon's house, when they were thinking, what's this woman doing in this house? This, she's not supposed to be here. The Bible said, and Jesus knew what they were thinking. So this Jesus and this God, who not only knows our actions and our words, he knows our thoughts. Oh, now that's getting dangerous because sometimes thoughts come in my mind that don't need to be there. Sometimes, my, my, I have some stinking thinking. Sometimes my mind wanders into areas it doesn't need to go. Come on, somebody, don't you act so pious and look down your little ecclesiastical nose at me. That mind will carry you in a lot of places that's out of order. What do you think when David was standing on that rooftop looking over there at Bathsheba in that bathtub? Brother, when she come dragging that bathtub out on that porch? That mind went to, come on! The Bible said sin begins with a thought. Starts in your mind. Come on. Starts in your mind. The challenge is in your mind. That's when you got to take it captive. Come on, somebody. When it's a thought, you got to take it captive. That's when you got to say, hold it, hold it right there. That thought is not going to become an action. And that action is not going to become a habit. So the time to stop an out-of-order situation is when it is a thought. Amen? Hey, God has so many things empowering us to make right choices and make good decisions. How do you make good decisions and make right choices and stay in order? Well, the Bible said, by faith, Moses chose. By faith, Moses chose not to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, he was given an opportunity to be the next Pharaoh. He would be the ruler of the world and sit upon the throne of Egypt of the Egyptian empire and rule the world. But by faith, Moses chose not to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but rather to suffer the afflictions of God's people rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Come on, somebody. So when it's a choice... When it's a thought, by faith, Moses chose. Hey, you need faith to make right choices. You need faith, young people, you need faith to make good decisions. Senior adults, you need faith to make right decisions and right choices. Faith will help you make the right choice. It will help you stay in order. Come on. Can you not believe that when Joseph 
was standing there in the arms of Potiphar's wife, that every bit of the tantalizing flesh in him was tingling with desire? Sure, that's temptation. Come on, somebody. But at some point, he said, no, this is not in order. Well, I'm preaching today. You may not get much any other time, but you're going to get it today. At some point, he took control and took charge and ran out of his coat. You see, the order of things, God has an order. And for us to live an orderly life and and live a life that is ordered by the Lord, we've got to realize that God has called us not to uncleanness, but that God has called us unto holiness. That God has not called us to disobedience and waywardness, but He's called us to order. And He's called us to live a life that is submitted. Hey, how many of you know that Jesus lived a submitted life? I said Jesus lived a submitted life. And when Jesus, the Bible said in Hebrews 5 and 8, though He were a son, yet learned He obedience by the things which He suffered. He even submitted to the civil authorities and had Peter go fishing and get a fish and take money out of its mouth and go pay the taxes. Why? Because it was the order of things. You see, that God and that faith and that spirit man that is in us is greater than all of the powers of the enemy. Greater than he that is in the world. You see, there's an order to things. There's an order to things. You know, when I get down to pray, sometimes I'm so anxious to tell God how mean they were and how bad they spoke and what the devil is saying and what, what the problem is. That's out of order. I said that's out of order. Enter into his gates with, did you say thanksgiving? Enter into his presence with gratefulness and thanksgiving unto God. And enter into his courts with, oh, did you say praise? Well, then what about praise? Before you got to pouring out your heart and saying, I need this and I want that and I need the other, first things first, get in order. My God, get in order. Order is praise Him first. Give thanks first. Lift Him up first. Give Him glory. Give Him honor and give Him praise first. First be thankful to Him and bless His name for the Lord is good. First, let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. First, praise him on the cymbals. First, praise him on the stringed instruments. First, praise him.
Praise him with the dulcimer. First, praise him with the coronets and the trumpet. You see, it's always in order to praise. The Bible said praise is comely for the righteous. Before you do anything else in the morning, you ought to get up first and say, praise the Lord. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you that I woke up this morning and you started me on the way. Thank you that you gave me breath. Thank you that you gave me life. Thank you, God, that you saved my soul. Thank you, God, that I am who I am by the grace of God. Praise him first. Don't get out of order. Don't get out of order. First things first. Go to that head. Don't go to to that table. Don't go to gobbling your food up. Stop and say, thank you, Lord. First things first. First things first. In fact, didn't the Bible say something about first things? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Then there's, if there's a first, there's bound to be a second. What is the second? And all of these other things. First things, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then second, all of these secondary things will be added unto you. The things you're praying about will come if you first seek the Lord and his kingdom. Then the secondary things, well, that's just icing on the cake. Well, that's good preaching. You ought to say amen to it. There's an order of things. My prayers go better when I praise him first. My worship is a priority. I'm here to tell you that from time to time, nets have to be mended. From time to time, axe heads have to be recovered and attached back to the handle. Oil and lamps must be replenished. Lost coins must be found. Moats must be extracted from our own eyes before we extract a beam from our own. It's a fact that this narrow way upon which we press toward heaven is a process of sowing and reaping, hurting and healing, loss and gain, sorrow and rejoicing. But the fact we must remember is that when things go wrong and we don't understand and our faith falters, God is still with us, leading, guiding, maturing and strengthening. It's his order of things. The Bible did not say after After the battle, we're made more than conquerors. It doesn't say that the battle is not a part of. It says in all things, we are made to be more than conquerors. Not after I've got through it, but while I'm in it. Not when the battle's over, but when I'm hand to hand. When I'm living in the combat zone, where the fiery darts are flying in the midst of the battle, I am made more than a conqueror while I'm fighting. Why? That's how I understand Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord Who are the called, same Greek word for planted, according to his purpose. In other words, what's going on around me can't overflow or burn up what's going on inside me. The chaos that's going on around me. 
cannot destroy the peace that is going on inside me. All of that dilemma, and that, that craziness that's going on uh, around me, in my family, at my work, in my job, where I, where I go elbow to elbow every day. That's what's going on on the outside. But thanks be to God, it cannot change what's going on on the inside. It may be raining on the outside and storming, but the sun is shining on the inside. You see, God has given us victory over all things. Yes, bad things happen to good people, but in the midst of it all, God will provide a way for your escape. He'll take care of you. Hallelujah. You know, some people, and I feel sorry for them, they feel like that God is only involved if they're shaking and moving and all of this earthquake stuff and a, a big show. But I want to tell you, God does some of his best work through a still, small voice. Sometimes God does deep things we get angry because he won't do high things but sometimes he's doing something deeper than your understanding will go oh I wish God would just speak to me well he will if you'll shut up and listen sorry that just slipped out didn't mean to be mean But sometimes my patience grows short when the obvious answer is right in front of you. It's not something I need to preach to you again. My Lord, you know this. I said, you know this. For most of you sitting here today, I'm rehearsing the things you already know. What bothers me is I have to keep reminding you that you get in the, in the midst of a battle and you forget all the things that you know. You forget that he said the flood will not overflow you. You forget that he said the fire will not consume you. You forget that he said I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And unless God's doing something on a camp meeting scale, then we just can't seem to believe that God is in it. Did you know that some of the services, Jay, and some of the sermons that I've preached, I, I walked out of this pulpit and went home just really feeling like I didn't, I didn't communicate with those folks. We just didn't hook up today. My Lord, it was tough today, wasn't it, God? We had a great message, but they just didn't get it. It, it just never did, never did happen. And then somebody will call me on the phone and say, Pastor, exactly what I needed to hear this morning is what you preached. Hang that one up, another one will call. Brother, how did you know that I'd, I'd been reading that this week and didn't know the answer to it and you preached on it this morning? You see, sometimes when you're expecting a camp meeting response and you're expecting people to run aisles and you're expecting the people to turn cartwheels and swing from the chandeliers. And sometimes we'll go away from it and say, boy, wasn't God real this morning? Don't put God in that box. Don't limit God and say, God, if you don't work this way, and if you don't do it this way, if it doesn't happen like it happened 30 years ago. Come on, somebody. 
If it's not like I, I have it planned out to be, don't put God in that box. Always be listening to what God has to say. God wants to tell us a lot of things and we miss it many times because we just don't understand. And that brings me to the next one and that's the result. Verse 27 says, He should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up and he knoweth not how. Now that's where we, we just stumble, don't we? Lord, I know you're telling me everything's going to be all right, but I want to know how. How are you going to do this? Is it going to come in the mail or is UPS going to deliver it? Or is it Federal Express that's going to bring my blessing? I, I need to know, God, because I need to be here. when I might need to sign for it when it comes. Lord, I've got faith. I believe you can do it, but you're going to have to tell me how. And that's where most of us trip because God's ways are not our ways. And buckle your seatbelt, his time is not my time. Most of the misunderstandings God and I have is about time. I want it and I want it now. That's why I go through fast food. Don't you hate it when you pull up to the window and order your fast food and you pull up to the window to get it, you paid, and they say, would you pull right over there please and wait till we get this done and we'll bring it out to you. Hold it, hold it, hold it. You advertise drive through, not park and wait. You advertise fast food, quick service. I want what I want, and I want it now. Sometimes I think we just try to make a bell hop out of God. Put your order in and say, wonder where he is. I ordered that 20 minutes ago. My Lord, if I'd known it was going to take this long, I'd have went out and got some. God, why are you not on time? You said you'd be here. When are you coming? Our problem is he knoweth not how. You see, I don't know how nature does what nature does. I don't know how a seed will lay there on my desk and I... Show it to people. You ever seen a, a mustard seed? No. Well, you'll have to strain to see it. It's, it's right here. And show it. But as long as that thing lays on my desk, it will always be just like it is. It will never change one iota until I put it in a different environment. I got to put it in some dirt. Yeah, that stuff you wash off in the washing machine from your clothes. That stuff those kids gets in and brings in the house that you have to get the vacuum cleaner and vacuum it up. I was kind to us guys right there, wasn't I? We don't bring anything in that has to be vacuumed up. When you're the vacuumer, you kind of know who brings the dirt in. And it's something that God takes that 
seed that's a grain of mustard seed and puts it in dirt. Dirt! Is there anybody in this house that likes dirt? I didn't. Well, there's one, farmers, gardeners, that'll raise their hand. They like dirt because they know where I'm going with this illustration. And there's one thing about that seed. Usually, I think Jack does this. He puts a little identification thing about what kind of tomato plant that is and what it's supposed to look like when it does what it's supposed to do. Because that's the picture on the envelope I bought. This is how it's supposed to look. So this is what I'm looking for. Have you ever told God what you're looking for? Lord, it's supposed to look like this. He's supposed to be about six foot two and about 205 and a muscular build and, and uh, dark hair. And, and I, I, I kind of favor brown eyes. And it'd be all right if he had a little curl or two around on the edge. I like a little wave in a man's hair myself. Lord, I'm just going to put my order in. Now, that's what it's supposed to look like. Sorry, guys, I don't see any of y'all in here to meet. <laughs> he does not know how. But it's, it's tough to keep going when you don't know how it's going to work out. All you've got is God said it'll work out. All you've got is God said, I'll do it. You don't know how. Faith keeps going on when you don't know how. Faith keeps taking steps when you don't know how. Faith keeps praising God when you don't have answers. Faith keeps on paying your tithe when you don't really have answers. You don't know how. Woo! Preacher, you're preaching this morning. You see, God has an order of things. And he tells us that you got to keep going. You see, God's way, God's will, God's way and God's time. Sometimes we look at what we're asking God to do and we say, Lord, I don't know how in the world. You know what Philip said when he had that little lunch box of that little boy? Those uh, two sardines and five crackers. And he walked around and he said to Jesus, there's a lad here and I've got his lunch box. But it's got five loaves of five crackers and a couple of sardines in it. But what in the world is that amidst so great a multitude? What he was saying was, this ain't going to happen. I know. This, this little boy's lunch, they, they may be as many as 20,000 people sitting here. I know they said 5,000, but it said they were all men. And 5,000 men's banned to have a woman. And you put man and woman together, you're going to have children. So the crowd may have been as many as 20,000. And Jesus, the Bible said, had compassion on them. But a disciple who was transitioning said, I don't know how it can work. We've got so little to work with. All I got is this, this little boy's lunch.
but what in the world is that? And God turned that little, minuscule, insignificant, almost invisible seed into a banquet for a multitude. It was so great that after everybody had ate all they wanted, that's why you guys love Golden Corral, isn't it? Don't act like you don't like them all-you-can-eat places. I've seen you down there. After they had ate all they wanted, the Bible said they took up 12 baskets of fragments, leftovers. Isn't that amazing? I think God just did that. Just to, I believe God's got a sense of humor. I believe he just wanted to show those disciples. Because immediately after that, they got in a boat and started to cross the, the, the sea. And the Bible said a, a terrible storm came upon the lake. And they were filled with fear because their lives were in jeopardy. And they woke up Jesus and he said, where in the world is your faith? Now listen. What do, you, what do you think they did with those baskets, 12 baskets, friends? Knowing them disciples like I know them, they put them in the boat and said, we'll finish this meal off later. So the products of the last miracle was in the boat and they were standing and stepping on what was left over from the last miracle and at the same time filled with fear because they had no faith for the present miracle. Boy, it got quiet in this house. It's kind of like somebody sucked all the air out of here. You mean you could be standing on what's left over from the last miracle and doubting God for the next one? Sounds like human beings to me, doesn't it you? They knew not how that works. How in the world do you sleep and relax and release all the stress and go day after day, night and day, and the seed is doing something all the time, invisible, insignificant, and you don't know how, but you know that something's going on. How in the world do you come to church Sunday after Sunday? But you know in your knower that something's going on. That God's working on it. That the seed is in the dirt. And the dirt is doing its work. What did you say, Pastor? I said the dirt. Look at verse 28. And all by itself, this is NIV, all by itself, the soil, the dirt, produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. You mean God is working my promise and my word just like the order of things? It goes in the ground as a seed, comes up a stalk, 
puts on leaves, puts on an ear of corn, and then a kernel appears on the ear. What's God saying? God's saying, I've got a process. I, I won't get ahead of myself. I'll, I'll do it according to my promise. I'll do it according to my plan. I'll do it according to my purpose. It's going to work, but it's going to work systematically. It's not going to be interrupted. So don't you go out there with your sickle and thrust your sickle into the plant before God gets through maturing it. You wait until God says, it's harvest time. You wait and let God do the order of things and let him work through that process so you'll be blessed. You won't like what you get if you sickle it too soon because you won't like that cob because it hadn't put kernels on yet. And you won't get the fruit and you won't get the blessing because you interrupted the process. Wow. God does not get ahead of himself. No matter how you whine, no matter how many excuses you make, no matter who else you blame, God will not alter the plan and interrupt the order. Hallelujah. When God, you know, the Bible said, if the Lord build not the house, they labor in vain who build it. God will not start working on a roof before he first puts a foundation in. God will not put on a roof until he builds walls. God will not go backwards in the order of things. He always goes in the order of things. And God said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God first lays the foundation. And Paul said, no other foundation can be laid than that which was laid. And it's the person of the Lord Jesus. Then God said, I will build my church. He starts building his church. God is building Harvest Church. God is in a process and a plan and a purpose for harvest. I don't know how far along because he knoweth not. I don't have that answer. I don't know when the Lord is coming. I don't know how many more days we've got to work. I just know that God has a plan and God has a purpose. Don't know where we are in the order of things, but we walk by faith, not by sight. I can't see the end product. I just know what he said he would do. And I just live from day to day because I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds my hand. Give God some praise in this place. I don't see Connor. You want to come help me? We'll play some music and preach to music a while. 
there are three things about the kingdom of God that we need to know. That first parable that Jesus gave, that parable was about the soil. It wasn't much about the seed. It was about the soil. The second parable that he started talking about, it was more about the seed. And I have preached for 47 years that that seed was the gospel. And in the first one, it is. But in the second one, as I was studying and putting this all together, the Lord showed me that I have been wrong in thinking that that seed was the word of God in the second parable. Because if Jesus is the one who plants the seed, and Jesus then is the farmer, then how could he not know how it works? I don't think there's anything he doesn't know. I told you a while ago, he knows your thoughts. And he knows your heart, knows your mind. Then how in the world could Jesus be the one that plants the seed, but he doesn't know how it works? So I got to really dig it in that, and I I found out, and the Lord said to me, you got to understand who he's talking to. He's not preaching to the masses and the multitude. He's preaching to leaders now. And he's preaching to disciples that he's trying to transition into taking over when he's gone and have the kingdom of God in their hands. So he's actually talking to them about what's going to happen. They could never, ever get it through their head that Jesus must die. That Jesus must go to Jerusalem. In fact, the sternest words Jesus ever said to anybody was Peter. When Peter began to rebuke him for saying, The Son of Man is going up to Jerusalem and must be delivered into the hands of sinners. And he will die. And Peter interrupts it. No, no, no. No, no, no. Not so. That can't happen. And Jesus said the strongest thing he ever said to anybody. Get thee behind me, Satan. So really the whole thing was about Jesus going to Jerusalem. About Jesus doing what God sent him into the world to do. Do you remember the Proto-Evangelium, which is in Genesis chapter 3.15, the first mention of Jesus. He is called what? The seed of the woman. Theologians have come to call it the divine seed, the messianic seed, the seed that God sent into the world, the seedbed which is the world. Jesus was that seed. Hey, you ready to shout? Have you got your shouting? You ain't, you ain't so sleepy you can't shout a little, are you? I told you a while ago, sometimes it's got to be a little. I wasn't preaching against shaking because I do a whole lot of shaking going on. I do a lot of shaking. In fact, I shake more than you all. I thank my God I'm chief shaker around here. Amen. Nobody's going to outshake me. Glory to God. Jesus is that divine seed. What he was telling them, he's trying to get them to see it once more. That the Son of God must be handed over to sinners. That the Son of God, the seed, the messianic seed, must be delivered into the hand of sinners. So when Judas walked across the Kidron Valley 
and walked out there into the garden of Gethsemane and planted a kiss on the cheek of the Savior that was the dirt that the seed was to be planted in. When the soldiers came and arrested Jesus and Peter took his sword and he took off the ear of a Roman soldier named Malchus, that was the dirt that the seed would be planted in. When he was led to Caiaphas' house and his robe was ripped off of his back and he was beaten and flesh and blood were mingled, that was the dirt that the seed was being planted in. When he was taken to Herod and was examined by him, that was some of the dirt that the seed would be planted in. When taken back to Pilate's judgment hall and was asked, are you the son of God? And he said, thou sayest it. And when the angry mob was crying, crucify him, crucify him, that was some of the dirt that the divine seed was to be planted in. And Mark said, and they led him out of the city through the eastern gate and they took him to a dump, the garbage dump, and they, on that garbage dump that is called Golgotha, they nailed him to a cross and they suspended him in the air. That was some of the dirt that the divine seed was planted in. When they took that divine seed off of the cross and they went to a garden and they rolled back a stone of a new grave and they placed him in that tomb, that was some of the dirt that that seed was planted in. And for three days he lay there in the tomb and preached to the prisoners of hope. That was some of the dirt that that seed was inserted in. But on the first day of the week, as the women were approaching the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, they found that that, <laughs> that seed had come alive and that seed had grown up and that seed had experienced a miraculous, a powerful resurrection in so much that the stone was rolled away and the divine seed marched out of that grave saying, because I live, ye shall live also. He came out of that dirt saying, I am the Christ and because I live, ye shall live also. I was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. That, friends, is what dirt produces the divine seed that is the first fruits of them that slept. Glory to God. And the thing that lights my fire this morning is that that divine seed is present in the throne room of God making intercession for every one of us. Aren't you blessed this morning to know that Jesus at this very moment is at the presence of the Father praying for you, asking God for strength for you, asking God to sustain you, asking God to encourage you, asking God to let His presence and His power and His grace be present in your life. Oh, I'm so glad that that dirt could not hold the Lord Jesus. 
I'm so glad that grave lost its power over him. I'm so glad that resurrection power overcame all the power of the dirt and the demons of hell that tried to prevent that divine seed from coming forth. For Satan knew that if that seed come out of that grave, then he would be defeated because Jesus lives and Jesus is present today at the Father's right hand for every one of us. I'm so glad that dirt could not hold that seed, aren't you? I'm so glad he lives. Thank God he lives. The resurrected Lord Jesus lives in our hearts and lives in our lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that leads me to tell you that that seed that is planted in you, that seed, that incorruptible seed, Satan can't defeat it. The hordes of hell cannot thwart it. All the power of the enemy cannot subdue it. That that seed that is in you is as sure as as the promise of God and God's promises are yea and amen. Can anybody say yea and amen? Can anybody say my seed is yea and amen? I may not know how. I may not know when. But I know that my God, I know that my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. But my God shall supply my seed according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The zeal of the Lord shall perform it. Death could not hold him. The grave could not hold him. The devil could not defeat him. Why, Pastor? Because he is God. In the beginning was the seed, the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Our minds being enlightened that the hope of glory is this. God in you. God in you, God in you, God in you, the hope of glory. Isn't that powerful? God in you, the hope of glory. Stand with me this morning. I want to sing a little bit. Sorry. Got to sing before I leave. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, thank God I know, he holds my future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. 
Oh, the devil hates that. He despises the fact you're, you're, you're singing that this morning. One more time and I'll dismiss. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all my fear is gone. Because I know, thank God I know who holds my future and all that it may bring. And life is worth the living. And life is worth the living. No matter what the devil says, and life is worth the living just because he lives. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for your presence in this place. Thank you for the strength. And thank you for the mind to preach another message this side of eternity. I thank you, O oh Lord, that you are the divine seed, and that you are in every one of us. You're in our past, you're in our present, you're in our future. And I ask you, God, to abide with us. Don't leave us. Don't leave us. Don't leave us, Lord. Stay with us, O God. Let your presence abide with us forever. Go with us from this place of worship now to our everyday life. And don't let us forget what we heard today, that because Jesus lives, the divine seed, the dirt surrounds us, but the dirt is producing the plant that will bear the fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and God go with you. It's my prayer. Have a great weekend. Have a great week.